Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Holiday reading on Scribble. Welcome to Scribble, 30 minutes of conversation, comments, and reviews on reading and writing, editing, publishing, and selling books. I'm Rebecca Wee. And I'm Don Wooten. How does one spend the holidays? Well, why not try reading on Scribble? You know, Rebecca... I always think we we play that theme. I open the mic, and I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, I know. We never know, and it and it's always fine. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because you launch into a half hour show with some idea of what you're going to do, but. but not a strong conviction about anything. Yeah. Well, and when it's a conversation, you don't know where it's headed, which is. Well, what do you do on Christmas Eve? I mean, if you're not ready, uh, <laughs> it's too late. And and ready for what is the question if you're not ready for a Christmas Eve? Um, <laughs> yeah, what is your family's tradition when you think back to either being a kid or oh, a parent? What, what, I, what I think about on Christmas Eve is that back in the day, in the early days of television, we made less money than school mm-hmm. teachers. Yeah. And uh, they were supposed to be at the bottom of the barrel, but no, we were. Yeah. And so Christmas came when I got the Christmas bonus check. Oh. And I left work and I sped around all the stores before they were closing to buy things for the kids. Okay. And uh, So it was right up to the wire. Oh, right were... up to the wire. Uh-huh. Uh, and I know the gal who ran the... Uh, this one uh, Flemish lion thing, Dolores Bolting, wonderful person. She said she always knew when it was time to close the store when I came in. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the end of the Christmas trail. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but, uh, and so it was an odd assortment of presents the kids got. One year, I don't know why, I bought this long toboggan. Oh. And they would take it up the Hallberg Hill and slide down. Could they all fit? Was oh, it long yeah, enough for all, all of them? They could all fit, but they usually rolled off yeah, before the toboggan ran into a tree or something. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it would be interesting to do some reading. Yeah. Uh, some interesting stuff has been written around Christmas. And uh, I just checked out a lot of things, and there were funny poems and serious poems. Mm-hmm. And I think you have some Christmas reading, too. Let me start with T.S. Eliot. Yes. Which is, seems to be an odd choice because I've been dealing with the wasteland, and <laughs> I don't know. But this particular poem, The Journey of the Magi, mm. I think is just right. 
A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet, and the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a watermill beating the darkness, and three trees on the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lentil, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information. And so we continued, and arriving at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place. It was, you might say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again. But set down this, set down this, were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly we had evidence, and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us like death, our death. We returned to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease there in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yes, it is. The, oh, one of the magi thinking about things. Eliot loves to drop things into his poems that you have to figure out. Yes, oh the, yeah. The three trees on a low hill, you mm -hmm. got that. Yep. And dicing for pieces of silver. Yeah. But what is the symbolism of the white horse galloping away? He must mean something by that. The white horse galloping away. It's been a long time since I've looked at that poem. Um, I don't know why it is, but we... He's led us to believe we have to analyze everything. Well, certainly the way he wrote, because he alluded to everything. You know, a lot of uh, the few poems of his that I've taught in recent years, students will complain that <laughs> they need to have a graduate degree to understand anything. You know, and it's to some degree, if you teach him and then you teach um, Langston Hughes, who is so plain spoken and right to the point, um, you get a nice, a nice range of what's possible, I guess, with the language. Um, what have you read for Christmas that's interesting? Well, you know, I was thinking when we talked about this a while ago uh, that 
my kids are now 14 and 19, so we don't do our tradition of what we used to do, which was basically, you know, December 1st. We always read at night. We'd always get on the couch or get in bed, and and I would read to them. And Christmas was when all the Christmas books came out. And so I asked them this year what they remember from all those books, because I've kept them. We have shelves of them. And one of them said Santa's favorite story, which is this um, what this little book. I don't even remember where I got it. But it's a really nice mix of um, com- combining Santa and what Christmas is supposedly about. So it, it's not very long, but I'll read. I'll read this one. Um, it's by, I believe, by a Japanese and a Bulgarian. I can't remember which one did the art for it, but these are all kids' books, so they've got wonderful watercolors. But this one goes. You'll have to imagine the watercolors. Santa's favorite story. One cold day in December, a fox was walking in the forest. As he looked at the snowy trees, he remembered that it would soon be Christmas. Then he heard something. He sniffed the air and looked around. There, fast asleep against a tree, was Santa Claus. He was snoring. Oh, my goodness, thought the fox. Santa Claus has come early this year. I'd better go tell everyone he's here. So he hurried off to tell all the other animals that lived in the forest. When they heard the news, the animals hopped and ran and scampered and flew to the tree. A squirrel chattered excitedly, and Santa Claus slowly stretched, yawned, and then opened his eyes to see the faces of a dozen little creatures. Why are you here? they asked him. Is Christmas going to be early this year? asked the fox. Oh, I'm sorry if I've worried you, my friends, said Santa. I went for a long hike this morning to get in shape for Christmas Eve, (laughs) but I guess I walked until I got too tired. Maybe all those heavy presents will be too much for me to deliver this year. The animals looked alarmed. Does that mean there won't be a Christmas anymore? asked the fox. No, 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 said Santa in a kindly voice. Christmas hasn't got anything to do with me. Sit down, and I'll tell you all the story of the first Christmas. It happened long, long ago in a faraway place called Bethlehem. Some shepherds were watching over their sheep in the fields outside the town. It was very quiet and still. Suddenly, a bright star appeared in the sky. Shepherds heard a voice saying, Do not be afraid. I have good news for you all. Today in the town of Bethlehem, the Christ child has been born. God has sent his son to show what God's love is like. Follow the star to his stable. The shepherds followed the star over hills and through valleys, across bridges and past little villages. All the while, the star shone brighter and brighter until at last it stopped above a small stable. The shepherds and their sheep stopped too, for there in the stable was a baby lying in a manger. The shepherds knew that this was the Son of God, and they knelt down and prayed. And that is what happened in Bethlehem when the Christ child came. It's my favorite story because it reminds me why we are so happy at this time of year. Love was the gift God gave to us on the first Christmas, and it still is, you know. And this love is far better than any presents I will ever deliver. 
Santa Claus put his hands in his pockets and looked slowly around the circle of animals with a kind, happy smile on his face. How silly we have been, said the fox, to think that Christmas was only about presents. So now you know, said Santa. But come on, you're right that it's almost Christmas. Let's get back to my place and get things ready. All the animals followed as Santa Claus ran off toward his house. He didn't even look tired anymore because he had remembered how much fun his work was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so that one, I was glad that it mattered to my kids because, of course, they care a lot about presents. And they care a lot about, um, you know, all the trappings. But they recognized in that that, you know, even Santa was saying, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Um, so I was pleased that that was one of the books that they remembered. Yeah, it's uh, there's so many different kinds of poems. Uh, see, I've got one here by E.E. E. Cummings. Mm -hmm. Little Tree. Oh, yes. Little tree, little silent Christmas tree. You are so little, you are more like a flower. Who found you in the green forest? And were you sorry to come away? See, I will comfort you because you smell so sweetly. I will kiss your cool bark and hug you safe and tight, just as your mother would. Only don't be afraid. Look, the spangles that sleep all the year in a dark box, dreaming of being taken out and allowed to shine, the balls, the chains, red and gold, the fluffy threads, put up your little arms, and I'll give them all to you to hold. And every finger shall have its ring, and there won't be a single place dark or unhappy. Then when you're quite dressed, you'll stand in the window for everyone to see, and how they'll stare. Oh, but you'll be very proud. My little sister and I will take hands, and looking up at our beautiful tree, we'll dance and sing, Noel, Noel. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Cummings was really wonderful, not just with his experimentation, but he wrote love poems, and that's a kind of love poem to to the tree, to the natural world, you know. And I didn't know he had written such a thing. I was looking through a collection of poems and thought, E. e. Cummings wrote about exactly. Christmas? Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. But look how beautiful. You know, as, as you were reading that, I was thinking, oh, that's the, that's the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. You know, <laughs> they're going to come and hang one ball on it, and it's going to droop over, but somehow it will I don't know revive. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, cartoonists across the country celebrated uh, Schultz 100th birthday. He's been dead for a long time. Yeah. And yet the Charlie Brown yeah. cartoons continue. Yeah. And they work as well now as they did from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. What is the magical touch I that Charles Schultz had? I thought about that. I guess, you know, it, he included all kinds of kids, you know, from the messy pig pen to the bossy Lucy to Charlie Brown with his <laughs> eternal peculiar optimism <laughs> despite <laughs> what happened to him. So maybe, you know, the cast of characters stayed really interesting. And the dog, of course. You oh, know, Snoopy, Snoopy is everybody's favorite. <laughs> but they were, re you know, they were sort of real in their 
meanness, kind of, you know, they weren't always kind to each other. I, that used to bother me when I was a kid, but I think you recognize it. I think kids recognize that, yeah, there's always the one that pulls the football away <laughs> over and over and over, <laughs> and always the one that believes this time that won't happen. So there's, I don't know, there's something really well, you interesting know, uh, about it. an artist, <clears throat> particularly when you're writing, I suppose on cartooning, you create another world. Mm -hmm. And if that world is whole mm -hmm. and contains everything it needs yeah. and is true to itself, it'll always work. And that's certainly true of Charlie Brown's world. Yeah. Well, think about, you know, even Snoopy imagining himself as a, what was it, World War I <laughs> fighter pilot. And, and then wasn't there a piano player, too? Oh, yeah, Schrader. And he loved <clears throat> Beethoven. And so, you know, he had music and you had, you know, they're just, yeah, they're kind of <laughs> wonderful characters. Do you have uh, any other books that you're interested oh, in? Oh, the one I love best. My kids didn't didn't choose this one, but actually the um, T.S. Eliot one you read made me think of this. This is Dylan Thomas's A Child's Christmas in Wales. Oh, yeah. And I, I won't read the whole thing because it's fairly long, but I'm yeah. going to read a couple sort of favorite sections because if there's anybody out there who has not discovered this, um, you need to. So let's see. I'll just do the first page and then I'll flip to a section that I especially love. <coughs> One Christmas was so much like another in those years around the sea town corner, now and out of all sound except the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before sleep that I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was 12 or whether it snowed for 12 days and 12 nights when I was six. So yeah. that's how it starts. And then it's adventures of these boys in the town. But I think because Thomas was such an extraordinary poet, there are just sections of this story that when I was younger, too, I just was sucked into it. My kids, um, one of them, I think, kind of appreciated it, but they're of a, this generation where it was like, it takes too long. He talks yeah, too much. it takes too long, yeah. But here's the, here's the part I really loved, because probably because of the imagery. Years and years and years ago, when I was a boy, when there were wolves in Wales, and birds the color of red flannel petticoats whisked past the harp-shaped hills. When we sang and wallowed all night and day in caves that smelt like Sunday afternoons in damp front farmhouse parlors. And we chased with the jawbones of deacons, the English and the bears, before the motor car, before the wheel, before the duchess-faced horse, when we rode the daft and happy hills bareback, it snowed and it snowed. But here a small boy says, it snowed last year too. I made a snowman and my brother knocked it down and I knocked my brother down and then we had tea. <laughs> but that was not the same snow, I say. Our snow was not only shaken from whitewash buckets down the sky, it came shawling out of the ground and swam and drifted out of the arms and hands and bodies of the trees. 
Snow grew overnight on the roofs of the houses like a pure and grandfather moss, minutely white ivied the walls and settled on the postman, opening the gate like a dumb, numb thunderstorm of white, torn Christmas cards. Yeah. That's just extraordinary. That is. That is Dylan Thomas's best, really. Well, I remember remember noting, I think this might be one of my early discoveries, that a word like shawl, that could be a noun, could be turned into a verb, you know, that the snow comes shawling out of the ground. Uh And, you know, so I was just intrigued. I think by the story, certainly, but also the music of... Well, you know, you poets are all alike. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> words <can>. fascinate <laughs> you and so on. I'm going to read my favorite <coughs> Christmas poem, although I think you've heard me read it before. But uh, I don't know a better one. Because you know I'm passionate about Edna St. Vincent Millay mm, yeah. and the Ballad of the Harp Weaver. Yes. Son, said my mother when I was knee-high, you've need of clothes to cover you, and not a rag of I. There's nothing in the house to make a boy breeches, nor shears to cut cloth with, nor thread to take stitches. There's nothing in the house but a loaf-end of rye, and a harp with a woman's head nobody will buy. And she began to cry. That was in the early fall. When came the late fall, son, she said, the sight of you makes your mother's blood crawl. Little skinny shoulder blades sticking through your clothes, and where you get a jacket from, God above knows. It's lucky for me, lad, your daddy's in the ground and can't see the way I let his son go around. And she made a queer sound. That was in the late fall. When the winter came, I had not a pair of breeches nor a shirt to my name. All that was left us, you know, I skipped a page there, pardon me. <laughs> I had I have this by heart, but uh, I, tr- I prefer to read it. Yeah. Anyway, I couldn't go to school or out of doors to play, and all the other, little, the other little boys passed our way. Son, said my mother, come climb into my lap and I'll chafe your little bones while you take a nap. And oh, but we were silly for half an hour or more, we with my long legs dragging on the floor, a rock, rock, rocking to a mother goose rhyme. Oh, but we were happy for half an hour's time. But there was I, a great boy, and what would people say to hear my mother singing me to sleep all day in such a daft way? Men say the winter was bad that year. Fuel was scarce and food was dear. A wind with a wolf's head howled about our door, and we burned up the chairs and sat upon the floor. All that was left us was a chair we couldn't break, and a harp with a woman's head nobody would take for song or pity's sake. The night before Christmas I cried with a cold. I cried myself to sleep like a two-year-old. And in the deep night I felt my mother rise and stare down upon me with love in her eyes. I saw my mother sitting on the one good chair, a light falling on her from I couldn't tell where, looking nineteen and not a day older, and the harp with the woman's head leaned against her shoulder, her thin fingers moving in the thin, tall strings were weave, weave, weaving wonderful things. Many bright threads from where I couldn't see were running through the harp strings rapidly, and gold threads whistling through my mother's hand. 
I saw the web grow and the pattern expand. She wove a child's jacket, and when it was done, she laid it on the floor and wove another one. She wove a red cloak so regal to see. She's made it for a king's son, I said, and not for me. But I knew it was for me. She wove a pair of breeches quicker than that. She wove a pair of boots and a little cocked hat. She wove a pair of mittens. She wove a little blouse. She wove all night in the still cold house. She sang as she worked, and the harp strings spoke. Her voice never faltered, and the thread never broke. And when I awoke, there sat my mother, with a harp against her shoulder, looking nineteen and not a day older, a smile about her lips and a light about her head, and her hands in the harp strings frozen dead, and piled up beside her and toppling to the skies, were the clothes of a king's son, just my size. I love oh, that. Isn't that something? I've always thought that is the best expression of a mother's love. Yep. It really is. Yeah. It's a magical poem in the ballad style, yep. which is really hard to write. It is, and have it sound natural. Oh, it mm-hmm. just flows. Yep. I don't know how she does it. But uh, I'm glad she did. I love that. And that was one, did you know that when you were younger too? Or did you find it later? No, I found that later on. I was just blown away by it. It was years. I couldn't read it without breaking down. Yeah, yeah. Because it just got to me. Yeah. But a poem will do that sometimes. Yep. You sometimes find things that mean so much. Yeah. I used to tell my kids when I was teaching, a poem is like a hand grenade. You pull the pin, it explodes with meaning, yep. with emotion. Yep. You just have no idea what's packed in there. And you don't know which one is going to get to you at what point in time. You know, there's plenty of poems you get taught in school that, eh, okay, I can learn about meter and I can, you know, but when when the right one finds you, um you're right. I mean, it's... Well, what's it like writing those things? <laughs> For me, it's a kind of what you were saying about how we started the show. You know, we have a general idea about what we might do, but you don't really know what's going to happen. And I think the poems of my own that I stay interested in usually just start with an image, something I saw, something a question I've wondered about. There's some little starting trigger, um, but I don't know what I'm going to say, and I don't know if it's going to be any good, and you just write, and you write, and there's some thrill in the the process of bringing to the page something you didn't plot out or plan. Um, but often then you look at it later and go, well, that was stupid. <laughs> you know, I can't, can't believe I – or or you have the opposite. Like you're saying, when you you kind of read something and think, oh, that's a good line. I didn't even know I was consciously thinking that. So there's a kind of half magical, half deliberate quality, I suppose, to writing a poem. Well, you know, I think it's true of all writing. It's true that uh, I am – I don't hold my writing up as anything special. But sometimes when I am putting stuff together, paging back through things, I'll read something and think, wow, 
Where did mm-hmm. that come from? Yeah, exactly. How did I happen to think of that? Yep. And that's uh, when it happens. It's you think there's something to this writing business. Yeah, I know. That is magical. Yep. But uh, well, we've used up our half hour. How about that? Oh, I so have, many books, so many poems. I have so many poems. Uh, I want to use Marcella's statement. Some say that ever against that season comes when our Savior's birth is celebrated. The bird of dawning singeth all night long, and then they say, no spirit dare stir abroad. The nights are wholesome, then no planet strike, no fairy takes, nor witch hath power to charm. So hallowed and so gracious is the time. And then Horatio speaks for everyone when he says, so have I heard. And do in part believe it. We believe you'll enjoy this holiday. Have a Merry Christmas. Rebecca and I'll be back next year for another Scribble. Scribble.